scripture passage for this afternoon. Um, This is a little bit hard for me to believe, uh, and and my schedule sort of revolves around Christmas in a lot of ways, but Christmas is less than a week away. And I wonder how that hits you. Um, You might be experiencing a variety of emotions with that. Um, You may be experiencing a lot of excitement because Christmas is less than a week away, and you're thinking like, presence, presence. You've been dialed in to maybe something very specific that you've been asking for, and like, it's just, it's less than a week away now. Or maybe you're going to get to see some family that you're really excited about. Or just school's out, and that's awesome when school's out. And so you're, the main thing you're feeling right now is excited. Uh, maybe you're in a different place. Maybe the main thing you're feeling right now is overwhelmed. And maybe it's because of presence and family and school's out. And instead of that being exciting to you, that just feels overwhelming. You're thinking, how am I going to get through these next 17 days until our kids go back to school? Um, like I've just prayed, you might be feeling lonely right now where um, your calendar is just not super full in the next two weeks. Um, and it, that it, this is just for you, Christmas is a heightened sense of loneliness. Or maybe it's sadness. Maybe um, this is going to be a different Christmas for some reason. You're not going to get to see people you would normally see. Maybe this is a first Christmas without a loved one or a friend that you lost this past year. So... Um, there is something, wherever you find yourself this afternoon, there's something about Christmas time that makes us feel what we're feeling much more strongly. It's almost like we feel things in like their superlative form. We feel like a heightened sense of emotion and response to Christmas. Um, that's actually what we see in our passage. We see um, superlative emotions. We see people feeling things strongly in response to the good news of Christmas. And so I want you to listen for these responses as I read our passage for us. Top of page 8, this is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. We're going to jump right in. This is right when Mary gives birth to Jesus. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known uh, the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word.
And Father, even a passage that may be familiar and expected this time of year, we can't understand this and we can't know You unless Your Spirit goes before and goes inside of us to help us to know You. So we ask for that now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So one of the all-time greatest Christmas stories is the 1843 classic, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Um, there have been a lot of adaptations uh, of Dickens' story through, through plays and theater and movies. Uh, hands down, the best modern adaptation was, of course, The Muppet Christmas Carol uh, in 1992. You may have seen it. Um, in The Muppets version, Michael Caine stars as Ebenezer Scrooge. And all the Muppets play different characters. Of course, Kermit the Frog plays Bob Cratchit. Um, and the premise of the story of The Muppet Christmas Carol is all based on how people respond to Christmas. Um, it's contrasted primarily between uh, Bob Cratchit's, you know, he, Bob Cratchit was the, the loyal employee of Ebenezer Scrooge, um, Bob Cratchit's joy and excitement about Christmas, and Scrooge's absolute dread of Christmas. Um, if you remember, Bob Cratchit, Kermit, has to beg to get the day off, just one day off, Uh, The day of Christmas, he has to beg to get it off, and Scrooge very reluctantly agrees to give him time off at Christmas. Scrooge goes home by himself on Christmas Eve, and then you know what happens. The three ghosts visit him, and then he gets this this new understanding and appreciation of what Christmas, what the true meaning really is. And you see this 180-degree turn in how Scrooge is responding to Christmas. And... He wakes up the next day. He's so excited that it's still Christmas time. He goes straight to Bob Cratchit's house, and he celebrates with Kermit. And, of course, Miss Piggy plays Mrs. Cratchit in this adaptation. And they celebrate with the family, and it's this this beautiful picture. Um, The tension in that story is that there is something about Christmas that elicits different responses. And so it's, it's a story about responding to Christmas. Um, Our passage shows the first responses to Christmas. And we're going to highlight some of those responses this afternoon. And I just want to say up front that this presses in on us and sort of shakes us out of our familiarity with the Christmas story to say, how am I responding to the good news of Christmas? Like right now on Sunday afternoon as we're a few days away from celebrating Christmas. So uh, two headings I want to think about this. I want to talk about the news And the responses. So first thing, the news. Um, This news gets broken up first with the event itself. Look at verse 7. It describes the event. And she, Mary, gave birth to her son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. All right, that's just one verse. Verse 7, it's embedded in a longer narrative at the beginning of Luke's gospel. It would be really easy if you had your Bible out and were reading this on your own and you were somewhat familiar with this story to sort of breeze past it, not notice much about it. But verse 7, and we've talked about this in some form for the past few weeks, verse 7 describes the fulfillment of uh, of God's promise to His people that began all the way back in Genesis 3 where He said that the offspring of the woman would do battle with the offspring of the serpent 
And ultimately, the offspring of the woman would defeat the offspring of that serpent. And the Old Testament gives all these iterations and promises and glimpses of what this might look like when this battle happens and what victory looks like. Verse 7 is the ultimate fulfillment of that. It is loaded with the weight of the Old Testament coming down on this one very humble description of the rescuer king entering the story in real time. That's verse 7. It says that he is here. In his grand entrance, it's described in really humble terms. She gave birth, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger. Um, the fact that, the one, that Mary was the one who wrapped him in these swaddling cloths, commentators point out that much like you would think, that meant that she was doing it herself. She didn't have like lots of resources and like a birthing team around her to help her in this process. She's in this manger barn situation. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but it meant that animals were like nearby. It's like shared space with animals. It's a very humble setting. And so one scholar, when he looks at this, he says, we don't know a lot about the details of the birth, but here's what we know. It points to poverty, obscurity, and rejection. And this instantly tells something to us about who God is. That He's the type of king that enters a story in a very specific, intentional way of poverty and obscurity and being on the margins. That's the kind of God that this is. This is the context in which God the Father sends Jesus the Son to take on flesh. All right, so June 29th, 2007 was a really important date in our modern history. Does anyone happen to know what happened on June 29th, 2007? All right, that was the day the first iPhone was released. June 29th, 2007. Um, I think, I was trying to think back, 2007, I believe I was navigating the transition from like a normal phone to a Blackberry um, at this point. And so this iPhone was just, it was so crazy. What is this new technology? There's no way it's durable enough. There's no way that's really going to catch on. June 29, 2007, such a big deal when it was announced. Fast forward to today, we're in our 13th iteration of the iPhone. There are now, if the internet's correct, uh, 900 million active iPhones in our world and over 3 billion active Android phones. That's just what the internet said. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds like a lot. So think back... um, that announcement from 2007 suddenly does not seem like that big of a deal to us because the phone is just so common. If you don't have one, you've seen lots of them. You've seen lots of them throughout the day to where it just doesn't seem like a big deal anymore. All right, that feeling is sometimes how we can feel about this account of the birth of Jesus where maybe um, you've just heard it so much throughout your life and you may not be a person who is regular in church. Maybe you're visiting or just checking it out. Um, but even still, if you're not in a church regularly, it's likely that you're somewhat familiar with this account of the birth of Jesus. And you've heard it so much to where it kind of just doesn't feel like a huge deal. There's so much that we could say about the birth of Jesus. I want to highlight two things that may not come to mind first and foremost with the birth of Jesus this afternoon. The first is this. Here's what it means for us. It means that God always does what He will always do what He says He will do. He always does what He says He will do. Kids, think about it this way. Do your parents ever, if you, if you go and ask your parents for something, do they ever say, um, not right now, 
but I promise we'll do it later. We'll do it later. We'll do it later this week. Hey, you're about to be on break from school? We'll, we'll do that over break. Okay, I do that with my kids all the time. We'll play that game later. You can show me that YouTube video later. We'll go get ice cream on a different night. I'm the king of saying that. And if you were to go and ask my kids, um, how often does your dad actually do it? They would say, eh, maybe half the time. Um, kids, the birth of Jesus means that God never forgets and it means that He always does what He says He will do. That's one of the things it means for us. God always does what He says He'll do. Secondly, it means that God loves our physical bodies and the physical created things that He made. Um, God made the world as a real physical space and He made His creation, His creatures with real physical bodies. And sometimes we can think that spiritual is good and physical is bad. And if physical isn't bad, it's at least just sort of like incidental and doesn't really matter. Like the spiritual stuff is what really matters. What we see with Christmas is that Jesus takes on a real physical body. To do what? Redeem us, body and soul, and to renew and restore all of creation. Uh, We see, this is what we learn about God from Christmas, that He loves the physical world He created, including our physical bodies. But this is the event, the birth of Jesus, verse 7. And as soon as that event happens, the word spreads. Let's talk about how the word spreads. Look at verse 8. It tells us that there were shepherds in the same region. They were out at night, keeping watch over their sheep. I don't know what you know about shepherds. I didn't know a lot about shepherds, but as I was reading about this, shepherds did not have a great reputation. Um, two things in particular, two reasons for this. Uh, because of their job as shepherds, they could not keep the Jewish ceremonial laws. They, they couldn't do it because of their vocation as shepherds. So they were considered ceremonially unclean. They couldn't keep the cleanliness laws. So that would have made them outcasts with certain religious people during this day. So they, shepherds were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And secondly, they were just generally considered untrustworthy and unreliable. They did not have a good reputation, so much so that their testimony was not considered um, uh, admissible in certain courts. A shepherd couldn't testify in court. Where does God send His angel first with this good news? To these unreliable, ceremonially unclean shepherds. And zooming out, that is not uncommon at all for how God chooses to work in Scripture And even now, he chooses those who we would least expect uh, to work through. Those on the margins, those who don't have a lot of social clout, those who don't have it all together, those who don't have a lot of religious power. He chooses people like these shepherds to bring the good news to. And what happens as these shepherds are in the field? Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. All right, so the angel appears. The glory of the Lord shines around these shepherds. We don't know exactly. That sounds amazing. We don't know exactly what that means. God often shows up in Scripture as either a cloud or light or fire. It's a shining light here. And... As is the pattern when angels appear, the response for those that he's appearing to 
is fear. They're terrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Why? Because he's bringing good news of great joy. See all these superlatives? Good news of great joy. Good news, that's the word for gospel. So it's this gospel of great joy that he is announcing. And what is the good news? It's that the Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born in the city of David. That the rescuer has come. And do you know that the good news for these shepherds is the same good news that we long to hear today. Um, We are people with rebellion in our DNA. It goes all the way back to when sin entered the story, like we've talked about with Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Sin is set in our DNA at that moment. So the day we're born, we inherit that sin in our DNA. And with that sin in our DNA, what does that do do to us and in us and through us? It means that we actively rebel against God. We actively disobey Him. And uh, what does that look like? It looks like living life according to our own terms rather than on God's terms. It means that we essentially function as our own God rather than living in relationship and in submission to the true God. That's what sin is. It's doing things our way rather than God's way. And this is in our DNA. And it just generation after generation, this is who we are. It's what we come from. And there's no way out of it. We cannot work our way out of this. It's this sin problem. It's so deeply ingrained in who we are that Scripture actually says that we are dead in our sin. That there's nothing we can do about it. We can't do some good to make up for it. We are in and of ourselves without hope. And God could have left it as such. He did not have to enter the story. But the good news is that He did. He did come after us. When we wanted nothing to do with God, we were running in the other direction. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that um, Jesus the Rescuer came and He lived among us. And where we lived life our own way, Jesus lived perfectly. It says that He fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled the law, meaning that anything that Jesus thought was perfect, anything that Jesus said was perfect, anything that Jesus did in His life was perfect. He never sinned. It was not in His DNA, and it was not in His behavior at all. He never sinned. And what was the reward for Jesus um, thinking and speaking and living perfectly? It was not a great reward that He received But He goes to the cross. And when He goes to the cross, uh, the Father pours out His wrath on sin. But it's not Jesus' sin. It's our sin. It's the sins of all of humanity that are placed on Jesus in that moment. And God the Father pours out His wrath on His Son. Jesus dies to pay for it. And then three days later, rather than staying dead, He raises again from the dead, walks out of the tomb, ascends back to heaven, is sitting at the right hand, of God the Father. And when we put our faith in Him, when we hide ourselves in Jesus, there's something called the great exchange that happens. And here's the good news. Uh, The good news of this great exchange is that we give our sin and rebellion and guilt and shame and condemnation, we give that to Jesus. And do you know what He gives us in exchange? He gives us His perfect righteousness and purity. This is the exchange that happens on the cross. And so when God the Father looks at us, He does not see all of our 
uh, sin and guilt and shame. That's not our standing with God anymore. He sees us covered in the perfect purity of Jesus, His Son. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news that this Savior has come. And we need to be really clear that Jesus did not come for people who have already shown themselves to be good. People who can like figure out how to get their act together and clean themselves up. Jesus came for those who are so defiled by their sin that they wouldn't even know how to begin cleaning themselves up. That's who Jesus came for. And that's the good news of Christmas. It was for these ceremonially unclean, unreliable shepherds. And it's good news for people like you and me. Um, So we have a dog named Max. Uh, Max is a year old. And depending on the day, he is either the greatest thing in our house or or the worst thing in our house. Uh, when Max was a puppy and, and he was um, doing something wrong, he would, um, let's say he got something he wasn't supposed to get. He would take it and go like hide under a chair when he was still small. And, and he would stay under the chair and he would hold on to that thing. And we would try to get him out, but he would not come out. Why? Because he, he knew that he was in trouble. And if he brought that thing out, it would mean that he was exposed and caught red-handed, that he was in trouble. Right, we do the same thing with God. Uh, we disobey Him and we hide. We try to hide from God. We even try to hide the thing from ourselves and convince ourselves that what we're doing isn't that bad or that we had a good reason to do it. We try to hide it from other people. Maybe if we don't talk about it, then it's not as bad as, as maybe it really is. But we cover it up. We try and hide. Why? There's this nagging sense that what we have done is wrong. And that we're not okay because of it. And maybe if we can find a way to hide it, then it won't be as bad. Um, Do you know what this good news means for us? It means that Jesus looks at us in our badness, in our disobedience, and He does not say, hey, come out here so I can get you in trouble. Like we say to Max. He says, hey, come to me, and I want you to actually hide yourself underneath me. Because when the Father pours out His wrath, His justifiable wrath on what you have done, I don't want want it to get on you. I'm going to cover you up and it's going to get on me instead. And so instead of hiding over there in your sin, I want you to come and hide in me because I can actually protect you from what's coming your way because of your sin. That's the good news of what it means to hide in Jesus. Uh, So my three-year-old loves to play hide and seek. Um, And we do this out in the front yard a lot. If you've ever driven by, you maybe have seen us playing Here's the thing about playing hide-and-seek with a three-year-old. They're not very good. Uh, So as soon as they go and hide, it takes about three seconds of looking, and you can see them like standing behind the tree or behind the bush. Um, When it comes to our sin and we try to hide ourselves, um, we're not very good at hiding ourselves from God. It's not going to take him long to see us and find us. Uh, But hiding ourselves in Jesus is a different kind of hiding. Uh, Because rather than just hiding because we're afraid of being exposed and accountable, hiding in Jesus leads to forgiveness and freedom and protection. Uh, The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy. was for the shepherds. It is for us. That's the news. What are the responses to this good news? Let's talk about the responses. So verse 12, the angel gives a sign to the shepherds, telling them how to identify Jesus when they find him. Verse 15, the shepherds start this journey to meet Jesus. 
And look at verses 16 and 17. It says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All right, two responses emerge in this passage. The first is this, treasuring the good news. It's the response of treasuring the good news. Uh, Luke uh, does a great job of highlighting just the beauty of how Mary responded throughout this whole process. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What a beautiful response. Uh, To even imagine her in this moment, uh, she's holding her newborn child, and she's thinking about this promise that that we actually looked at last week where the angel Gabriel told her about her son being the long-awaited Messiah King. So she's holding this newborn baby Jesus, thinking about the promise that the angel Gabriel gave her, Now these shepherds have shown up and confirmed that this promise is true. And it's though she's able in this moment to somehow be fully present and to cherish this good news. To treasure it in her heart. To ponder what this might mean. That she is holding in her arms this Messiah King. And she didn't even fully understand how good the good news would be at this point. We have a much fuller picture of the life and work of Jesus I wonder if you're in a place right now where um, can you be present enough to treasure the good news of Jesus? It is something that we have to fight for any time of year. It's especially something we have to fight for this time of year. To have a few moments uh, to be still and to meditate on and to treasure the good news of Jesus in our hearts. Um, what would it look like for you to intentionally create space even this week to do that? Maybe it's five or ten minutes, just silent, um, meditative moments where you're thinking about and, and treasuring in your heart who Jesus is and what He has done. Um, Mary treasures the good news. That's her initial response. Um, there's another response that we see, though, because of the good news, and that's worship. Worship is all over this passage. We see it first with the shepherds. You may have noticed this. We actually get a little bit of a glimpse of what we could call a spiritual journey with the shepherds. Um, And it's interesting because it's a journey that starts with fear. Uh, Look at verse 9. When the angel appears, the glory of the Lord shines on them. How do they respond? They're terrified. It's this heightened sense of fear. Great fear, it says. Um, Have you ever been been in a place where Um, you actually felt afraid to be in God's presence. Or maybe you uh, were hearing the Bible taught or you were reading the Bible and because of some claim that the Bible made about you, it created a sense of fear and unrest within you because you know the claim that it's going to have on your life. That's actually a very valid response. Uh, Fear is a very common response to the presence of God. That's how the shepherds respond here. That's the first part of their journey. Then they actually move into a real journey. In verse 15, after this explanation of what's going on, they go on the journey to actually see if it's true. Um, People rarely change at the snap of a finger or just overnight. right? Change is more often than not a process or a journey. Um, And that's true about believing in Jesus. It can be much more of a process than just this like snap your fingers and you believe sort of situation. I've sat with many of you in membership conversations as you have joined Resurrection, and you'll tell me, you'll say, you know, 
I can't remember like a specific date of when I first believed in Jesus, but I do remember like maybe it was in college where from freshman year to senior year of college, that things really changed for me, right? Suddenly got a grasp of my own sin and my need for Jesus. And he became like beautiful to me and I wanted to follow him, but it was some kind of process. Um, that's totally normal. To be in process, to be on a journey towards Jesus. The shepherds physically go on this journey to see if what the angel said was true. And where does their journey lead them? Verse 20. It leads to worship. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they go on this journey of being afraid of God, to discovering the truth, to encountering Jesus and worshiping Him. We also see worship with the heavenly host here. Look at verse 14 back up towards the top. It says, um, that the, the heavenly host was crying out. And to just picture this, this is an army of thousands of angels. Heavenly host, army of thousands of angels. They're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Um, these are the ones who are created to surround the Lord on His heavenly throne. And how do they respond? They respond by worshiping Him. And what they're saying as they worship Him actually helps us to understand the good news a little bit more. They're saying, peace among those with whom He is pleased. So they're saying that the good news of the birth of Jesus leads to peace. Real peace between us and God. Um, do you have places that you go or things that you do to give you peace? Maybe day to day it's like if you can go get like a 20-minute walk by yourself or even just any time alone to yourself during the day. Uh, maybe it's uh, a good book by a fire. Maybe it's a trip to the beach. Uh, maybe it's uh, a getaway with a spouse or a friend. Do you have places that you go or things that you do that give you peace? Um, I've had a few moments as I've been out west in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado where uh, it's almost just this sort of euphoric, amazing moment where you're in like the, the, just the beautiful landscape of the Rockies. There's no one around. You can um, smell the fresh air. You can hear the wind blowing through the pine trees. Um, maybe it's a sun setting over the mountains. And it, it almost feels euphoric where you feel uh, such a great sense of peace, maybe more so than you've ever felt. I want you to think about whatever that moment is for you. Um, what I've experienced uh, on those mountain, those literal mountaintop moments, is that while they feel so peaceful in the moment, I know in a few minutes I'm going to have to turn around and go back down the mountain, back to real life. And that peace doesn't last. Um, what is different about the peace that Jesus brings us is it is a peace that will not go away. It never leaves. Uh, once you have it, you always have it because it's not like this temporary escape from like busyness and, and stress and a difficult life. Um, it's a peace that's even greater than that. And it's actually even more impossible to find because it's a peace between you and God that you can't muster up on your own. God has to give it to you. It's a gift from Him. And it's important to see that this peace is on offer, it says, to those with whom He is pleased. It means that not everyone has this peace. Not everyone has it. To get this peace, we need to cry out to God and ask for it. Do you have this peace? If not, maybe the prayer is, uh, Father, forgive me for running from You, 
for looking for my own peace in all the wrong places. Please give me peace with you through your son Jesus. Amen. Maybe that's the prayer for you. Um, Do you have this peace with God? That's what's on offer to you today, and it is the gift of Christmas. Uh, How are you responding to the good news of Christmas today and this week? Uh, You are invited to respond with treasuring this good news and worshiping God because of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we, uh, because of Jesus,